This is Amy Bauman, and you are listening to Speaking Truth with Love. For more information about myself or for His Glory Ministry, you can head to amybauman.com. Now here is today's show. Good morning. Welcome to Church Online. I'm Reverend Amy Bauman with For His Glory Ministry, and I am so glad that you're choosing to join us today. I'm so glad that you found us and are part of today's service. Over the last couple of weeks, we have been focusing on thankfulness, and that's something that I think about, especially in the month of November, as we're in the week now of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Day is only a few days away. So we've been looking at specific things to kind of help us be mindful of that gratefulness. Two weeks ago, we looked at hallelujahs in our hard times and recognized that we all experience hard times, but are we staying thankful? Are we staying grateful to God during those challenging seasons? First and foremost, because He is worthy of our praise. Secondly, He doesn't cause the hard times in our life. He's not the cause of the brokenness that we see in the world today. The enemy is. So it's important for us to focus and remember that we have so many things to be thankful for, even in the hard times. Last week, we looked at the story of Jesus healing the 10 lepers. And if you remember, only one came back out of 10 to thank Jesus. And we focused on how many times in our lives are things going well? How many times are we having God work and move and bless us, and yet we don't remember to say thank you? We don't remember to focus our gratitude on the Lord, knowing that He gives us all good gifts. So we've spent the last couple of weeks looking at those comparisons, hard times, good times. And this week, as we're in the week of Thanksgiving, the Lord gave me a special word for us to be thinking about tables. So many times there are so many different tables that we have sat at in our lives, good and bad. And so I want to look at that today. What does the Bible say about tables? What does Jesus say about tables and how we can apply that truth to our lives today? So I have a lot to share with you. But before we get started, let's open with prayer. Father God, I want to start off by saying how grateful I am, how grateful I am for the opportunity to preach today. And I I want to thank you, Lord, for all the ways that you are working and all the ways that you are blessing your people. Even amidst the, the challenging and the hard things, Lord, we can see you working and moving. We can see your goodness. We can look to the world and find you we, we just have to keep our focus on you. And so I just pray in these next few minutes, Holy Spirit, that you will fall in this place, that you will open up our hearts and our ears for new revelation, new things that we can apply to our lives. And I pray for a fresh anointing that I will speak your truth with love. We love you and praise you and thank you for everything that you are going to do. And we ask these things in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Tables. It seems like an interesting topic and subject for this week. But as we go into Thanksgiving, this is where my my mind goes on tables. 
I think this year we're going to have 12 at our table. That doesn't include the, the grandkids. And so as I'm thinking about uh, my table for Thanksgiving, there's got to be enough space for everyone. They've each got to have a seat, right? That's important. There needs to be enough space for elbows and, and for them to eat and enjoy. And, and then once there's enough space, then I think about, well, how am I going to decorate the table? And I love to decorate for Thanksgiving. I love to put some pumpkins out on my table, some candles, um, maybe some fake leaves or real leaves. I, I love to make it look inviting. And it's not just about coming and having Thanksgiving at our house. It's about an experience. It's about family. It's about having them walk in and feel welcome and, and, and just love, want to sit at our table. This year, I'm actually going to use my grandmother's china, which is older than me. So I'll have that arranged with the napkins and uh, the silverware. It's a big deal for me. But when I think about tables, I think about the many tables that I've, I've sat at over my life. Maybe you can think for a second the many different tables that you've sat at over the course of your life. Right? We, we sit at these tables and we, we eat, we share a meal. We sit down and, and pay bills. We sit down and have challenging conversations with people and with family. We talk about the future. We, we've sat at, um, maybe you've sat at a, a table that's in, a, in an attorney's office uh, signing papers because your marriage is over. Maybe you've sat in a boardroom at a table discussing how great your business is going or maybe you're financially in ruin and you need to dissolve the business and you're, you're meeting and looking at all the ways that you can uh, get out of this situation. Maybe it's been at a table in a hospital where you're discussing um, what is the next step. We've come to the end of the road and, and, and maybe we need to look at some different options. Maybe you've sat at a bank and, and signing your mortgage and you're so excited to start this new part of your, your journey. We sit around tables and we do life together, good and bad. And I wondered as I was thinking about this topic, as the Lord was speaking to my heart, if we really know the true significance of tables in our lives. So with that background, I started looking into the Bible and looked for what Jesus said about tables. And I actually found text where Jesus talked about tables and more text about when he turned them over. So I want to unpack that today and, and look at tables, the importance of them and the importance of them from Jesus's perspective. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to look at several different texts today. We're going to start off with Luke 14. And if we look there, there are back-to-back -back stories about tables. The first one spells out how Jesus was at a Pharisee's house, and then he goes right into the parable of the great banquet. So uh, we're going to start in 
verse 1, chapter 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guest picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Following this story, he goes right into another parable of the great banquet. We'll pick up that in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the, Lord, the servant said, when you ordered, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. 
interesting stories that Jesus talks about tables and get-togethers. One story talks about wanting the most important seat at the table. And the other, that they're invited to have a seat at the table, but they're too busy. The first story talks about rules and regulations, humility and honor. The second story talks about excuses and priorities and whether or not we are preparing for the kingdom of God. And so we need to ask ourselves today, is it important who we sit at, at our tables? And is it important what table we're sitting at? What do we think? What do we think is important? Well, let's take a minute and look at who Jesus sat with. The importance that Jesus put on it. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 10 through 13. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When we read in the text, we read that Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with the outcast of society. Now, why is this a big deal? Why was this such a big deal to the Pharisees? The issue of eating with sinners was very sensitive in Judaism, since some believed that eating with such company conveyed an acceptance of the person's sin. It was all about what was clean and and wasn't clean. And we read things about, well, I can't eat that because it's not clean for my body. I can't look at that. That's unclean. There was a lot of that. Uh, We talked last week about the lepers. The lepers had to announce that they were unclean, right? All of these rules and regulations. But Jesus pursued relationships, relationships that might lead sinners to God. And rather than quarantining himself from such people, which is what we do, right? Oftentimes we quarantine ourselves from people that we see as blatant sinners based on what we see with our eyes. Rather than quarantining himself from such people, He ate with them. He did life with them. He invited them to come in and sit with him and learn from him. But yet, we don't. We say, oh, I don't want to associate myself with that person. They do this, this, and this. I don't want to eat near that person because they do this, this, and this. In doing that, we are judging. 
we are judging that based on what they do, what we can see them do or what they look like or where they live or what kind of activities they participate in, we're judging them and we're also saying that we're better than them. Even though we ourselves are sinning, God looks down from his perspective and all sin is the same. Whether it's a gambling, whether it's addiction, whether it's uh, drinking, whether it's idolatry, whether it's adultery, whether it's lying, it's all the same sin in God's eyes. And yet we categorize it and put it in boxes and label it and say, oh no, I can't be with them. They're sinners. We need to recognize that we are all sinners, that God looks at sin the same. And we have been called to show love and shine brightly for Jesus. And we can't do that if we're not sharing the same space with other people. If we can't do that, if we don't have our doors open wide for those people that are living lives that we think are questionable. And one of the problems with the church today is we like things neat and tidy. We like our own people. We like to look around and feel safe. And yet the church was not designed to have it be a whole bunch of like-minded people who think that they're not sinners. Pretending not to sin, right? The church is a harbor for people that are sinning, that are trying to align their lives with God. We are all broken. We all fall short of the glory of God, but it is because of Jesus that we are saved by grace through him. And we need to realize that. And if we want revival today, our doors need to be wide open for all people to come and renew their lives and renew their minds and to align their lives with Jesus. It can't only be these people or these people. The church is for all people in Christ. Speaking of the church, throughout the text, there are a few times when we see that Jesus gets angry. But two of those times, he was in the house of God. Turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21, starting in verse 12, Jesus is at the temple. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer and you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them 
and he went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. For the religious leaders, it was okay to sell and change money, but it was not okay to heal and to worship. Jesus was angry because they were turning God's house of prayer into a marketplace. They were selling items and animals and exchanging currency, and they were ripping off those that were trading and purchasing. You see, there was only one form of currency that was accepted in the temple. The Tyrian coinage, which was Jewish coins, this is what they used, that had no imagery on it. There was no, in their minds, idolatrous human portraits on these coins. They felt that the portraits desecrated the temples and the purchase of these sacrificial animals. So when you would come to the temple and you would want to purchase something, right, you would exchange your money so that your coin didn't have that face on it and it was not a form of idolatry as you were purchasing your sacrificial animals. In this passage, Jesus goes on, and, and says two different Old Testament passages of Scripture. He's so angry and he quotes Isaiah 56, 7. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then he quotes Jeremiah 7, 11. You have made it a den of robbers. When you're looking throughout the text, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have similar stories, maybe told from a different perspective, right? And some commentators and scholars believe that Jesus cleansed the temple only one time. But as you read through the text, you see that there was another time that Jesus turned over tables. Uh, one was stating it was at the beginning of his ministry and the other was before the crucifixion. John uh, chapter 2, 13 through 19 points out a different time when Jesus clears the temple courts. Verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those he sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Verse 18, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Why did Jesus come? Why did he come into this world? Well, we know that the father sent him. Jesus did it because his, the father asked him to come. He came to restore us to the father. He came to demolish the works 
of the enemy. He came to die on a cross so that the ultimate sacrifice could be made for all the world's sins. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever should believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But he also came to teach us something. Right? We have all of these red letters in the Bible where while Jesus was here doing his earthly ministry, he was teaching. He was preaching the people, not just the people of that day, but us. Us as we read the Bible today. And if we look at his very first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, the famous sermon that he preached, this was the beginning of his ministry and the important things that he wanted to say to his people as he was coming out on the scene, right? If you were going to do like a Facebook post or an Instagram post and you were announcing your ministry, you would want that first post to mean something, right? A splash of color, maybe, you know, Jesus doing the sign of peace. I mean, you'd have something big to say, hey, this is what I represent. This is what I'm here for. And when we read the Sermon on the Mount, this is it, right? The famous Sermon on the Mount. And what is one of the biggest things that he stresses time and time again? It's not about the rules. It's not about the regulations. Though I have come to fulfill the law to every letter, it's not just about the law. It's about the shape of your hearts. It was about the motivation behind the reason why we do the things. That's what he was stressing. It's not just about the rules and the regulations and the law. It's about the relationship that I want to have with each one of you. What is the shape of your heart? And here's the thing. When I look back at the many tables that I've sat at over the course of my life, my heart wasn't always in the right place. So many times I was trying to be in the in crowd. So many times I was trying to get accepted by the world. So many times I wanted to do it and sit at this table because I wanted to. It wasn't because God wanted me to. And the problem is, is that too many of us want a seat at the tables that Jesus would have flipped over. Where Jesus doesn't want us to have any part of it. So as we look at tables today, where are we seated? We have to remember that we are the temple For the Holy Spirit, our body. This is what holds Jesus now, right? In the old days, they built the temple to hold God. But when Jesus came, we became the temple of the Holy Spirit. We became the temple of Jesus. And we forget that, right? We forget that our body, our temple was purchased at a price. Therefore, we need to honor God with our bodies. And if Jesus came down and looked into our lives today, looked into your life today, at your temple, what tables would he find you 
sitting at? Would he flip them over and, and clean house? Would he say this is supposed to be a house of prayer? Several times Jesus tells the people not to be like the Pharisees. And we oftentimes can read God's word and say, I am nothing like a Pharisee, nothing like them. But truly, when he tells us not to be like them, why? The Pharisees had hypocrisy in their hearts. The Pharisees' views and intentions were not honoring God. The Pharisee treated the people with disdain. They didn't even want to be around sinners. They didn't even want to be around the unclean. They didn't even want to be around the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the adulterers. They would not eat at tables with sinners. They did things for their own glory. And my friends, if we were honest with ourselves today, many of us, are like Pharisees. Many of us have Pharisee moments when we're just like them in the days of Jesus. And yet we don't want to believe it. There was one more table that Jesus sat at that I want to look at today. And that is of the Last Supper. He broke bread and served not only the disciples that he loved and mentored, but also the enemy, the one that had put him over to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and betrayed him. But what did Jesus do? Jesus washed their feet. Jesus served them. And at this table that we read about in God's word, we are shown how to love. We are shown how to serve. We are shown how to do life together. And I want to close us out today remembering his sacrifice, remembering how we should live, remembering this table. Now, if you have your sacraments, you can get those out now. If you don't, then I just want you to partake in the Spirit. I want you to go through this in the Spirit, remembering what Jesus did on the cross for each one of us. Before we partake, I want to read something from 1 Corinthians 10, 14 through 22. I stumbled across it while I was doing my research, and the Lord wants me to read it today. It's a reminder of Thanksgiving in the Lord's Supper, and there's a question that it proposes. What table are we sitting at? What table do we want to sit at? Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? 
and is not the bread that we break, a participation in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an altar is to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Let us come to the Lord's table now and remember his sacrifice and why he came. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. He then took a cup, gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many so that their sins may be forgiven. Drink and do this in remembrance of me. I don't know what table you are sitting at today, but the Lord wants you at his table. Make sure you don't just hear about the invitation Make sure you receive and claim a seat at his table. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for making a way for all of us. We are so lost without you and you knew and you sent your precious son into this world to show us how to live. He drank the cup of wrath that we were so deserving of. He took the sacrifice upon himself, Lord, so that we could have everlasting life and forgiveness of sins and live in an eternity in heaven with you. He went through the, the, the shame and the cross and the sin, Lord, when we were so deserving of it. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we can remember what Jesus did by partaking in this cup and bread, uh, how his body was broke and his blood was shed so that we could have everlasting life and freedom, Lord. We want to receive that today. We receive that forgiveness. And Lord, I, I pray that we repent, that we repent of the many times that we have want to sat at the table of the world, where if we have wanted uh, to sit at tables where you would have turned them over. And Lord, as we are coming in to Thanksgiving, let this be a reminder to us of what table do we want to sit at? 
and with the invitation that you have so clearly given us, Lord. Let us not give you excuses. Let us not have our priorities not be of you. Let us not say, well, I just can't come right now. I'm too busy, Lord. Let us make a way. Let us refocus and readjust and return to you and receive that invitation with gladness. Let us sit at your table. And Lord, I know the struggles of the world today and I know the distractions of the devil and I know that it is a challenging time, but Lord, help us to be mindful and encouraged that you are greater, that you are greater than all the attacks and the works of the enemy today. You are greater and that you are still on the throne. We just need to trust in you. We need to wait patiently for you and know and believe that you are working and moving. So I lift up to you all those that are struggling today, all those that are feeling broken, all those that are uh, feel alone and that there is no one at their table. And Lord, I pray that they will be reminded and encouraged that you are, that you have made a place for them, that you love them, that you have great plans for them, and that you want a relationship with them. May they receive that truth today. We thank you for how you have worked and moved. We thank you for everything that you have done. And we thank you for everything that you are going to do. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being here and a part of today's service. And until we can be together again, be blessed. Thanks so much for joining me today. Stay tuned for more Tuesday teachings, Sunday sermons, and encouraging messages along the way. And until next time, be blessed.